I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. First things first on this episode, I wanted to take the time and thank everybody for firing over their feedback. Um, I got a lot, especially when the show wasn't happening, and I'd be visiting places. People would come up and ask where the show was or if it was coming back. And, uh, I mean, people always brought up the show, but sometimes it's kind of hard to gauge, even when you put out records or, or you play at festivals and stuff, uh, if it actually works or not. You know what I mean? Like, you're aware that people are tuning in, but is it good? That's another question. Um, so, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, you know, and the emails, too, and all that stuff. I don't always respond, but I'm notorious for that. A uh, couple other things people were asking, or not asking, but they were saying like, well, uh, you know, I'm kind of at a loss when the show isn't on. Um, there are a couple others that you can check out, uh, you know, when I don't get around to uploading stuff. Uh, Rave Curious has been around for a while. And uh, Josh just, well, Thump, which was part of the Vice Network, they, uh, they folded, uh, I don't know, maybe two months ago month ago something like that but josh is still going so uh go ahead and, and google that or pop it into itunes and subscribe and uh help him get back on track there and there's also another new one from a lady named emma robertson called air the third episode of that just premiered and uh some of the more recent guests she had was uh, robert henke and uh eric claudier so check those shows out and uh, if you know of any other ones, fire them over my way. My guest this week is a highly influential producer from the Netherlands. His name is Jeroen, but you'll know him better as Secret Cinema. Uh, he's made a ton of big records. Well, not a ton, but a, a nice handful of big records since his career started. And uh, as you'll hear during the podcast, these records influenced a lot of producers and DJs who've become some of the biggest in the industry today. Uh, I actually met Jeroen recently on the road, maybe a couple of years ago. And since then, we've played a few times together and we seem to get along really well. Uh, he played in Berlin earlier this summer and when I heard he was going to be around, I was more than happy to have him stop by and uh, touch down on everything from his early records to Nerdy Gear Talk. Uh as you'll hear in the episode, he, he really goes into depth and detail. And I just got to say, sometimes some of these guys, uh, you know, they can bring up, they can remember years and labels and all these things. And uh, I don't know, I guess my memory's going because I have trouble remembering stuff from last year. So that alone is pretty impressive to me. Enjoy the show. Anyway, should we do this? Yeah, let's get started. All right, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today. You're very welcome. Um, let's do the due diligence. <laughs> Basically, uh, I don't know how to properly pronounce your last name. So, Okay, well, my first name is Jeroen, mm -hmm. like a typhoon, yeah, and Verhey. Yeah, it kind of means far in the grassland. Yeah. Far-fetched, but... Okay, yeah, I mean, the, the one thing is, like, actually, the Netherlands is one of the first countries I ever went to when I started going to Europe, and... The language is so crazy to me. I mean, now that I've been in Germany for a while, you can see a lot of uh, similarities and stuff to mm -hmm. German, but uh, it's going to be really confusing yeah. how some things are pronounced. It's insane. Yeah, especially renting a house, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so 
you, you're a guy that's been around for a long time. I saw I had to do a little discogs digging because I needed needed a refresher. And first of all, that was entertaining. There were some things that I didn't realize that you were connected to and stuff like that. Like uh, I thought Point Blank for some reason was Steve Stoll, but you know the men's team that was that was you, for yeah. example, and and Grooveyard and stuff. And I actually had a lot of the EC records, so. Yeah, brought back a lot of memories. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Also, uh, when I was playing in Ibiza a couple of years ago, and then I did a sound check, mm-hmm. and in the other room was a drum code in the privilege it was mm-hmm. a drum code room, and then I did the ch- sound check, and Adam came in. He was like, "What is this? Your track?" It was also Point Blank Bang's theme. It's my favorite track. It brought me into techno and blah blah blah. So Funny. <laughs> I hear those kind of things a lot, you know. Also, Paul Ridge. Uh, when I did that barcode movie thing mm-hmm. and then he bought it at FNAC and it was like, okay, I want to make techno now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The soda is very nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always interesting. Like there was a guy that, uh, DJ three, he, he's, do you know who he is from the States? No, no. He's kind, kind of like did this whole breakbeat house sort of thing for a while. That puts it very loosely. Okay. But he did a, a, a big record called secondhand satellites. All right. Uh, orbit. Um, anyway, that he was responsible for that. He was playing. I'm like, "What the hell is this?" And he's like, "Oh, it's me." And I remember hearing this record years prior. Aha, uh-huh, okay. And it's just it's interesting when you talk to someone, you find out it's their record. Yeah, right, exactly. You know? Yeah. So, In the end, it's always a small world as well. Exactly. But um, that being said, uh, on top of countless aliases, you've had a couple labels and everything over the years. So we got a lot that we can kind of uh, catch up on if, if you're up for that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, labels wise, uh, you started EC records with Michelle DeHay. That was, well, was actually that accurate it, it, or? it was Michelle's label. Ah, okay. And I was working at a record store back then and Michelle okay. came there to, to buy records. Okay. And yeah, I don't know. I, I knew Michelle from, um, from the Midtown uh, era. So, uh, the first record that I ever released was uh, Sonar System, Manx Syndicate Sonar System. It was a 91 release. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I had 94 written down. Oh, no. no. So, Sonar System is the first one. And okay. it was uh, Somebody Give the Lord a Hand Clap, that track. With okay. just one bass drum, one sound, and one hi-hat, and that was the whole track. <laughs> really? I don't yeah. even know that one. I got to check it out. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think you will know it because... Uh, I don't know, it was used in a lot of countless of Gabber records as well. Okay. And Paul Elstock was working in that uh, record store back then, together with Michelle. Mm-hmm. And Paul heard that track for the first time. You know, I brought a tape and he immediately called his boss and said, okay, you need to come down because this track is just fucking awesome. Nice. <laughs> Can I say fuck on the radio? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I spell it with an A, so it's all right. Yes. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, you know, he's of course obviously the happy hardcore uh, king. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is why I know Michelle as well. And uh, you know, we're working together, and and yeah, for obvious reasons, I went to their parties, and uh, Paul picked me up. He brought me to his Holy Noise tour uh, as a as a warm up uh, set. And um, yeah, for for some reason, uh, you know, we stayed in touch, and then Michelle came by to pick up records. And they had a huge sound system in that store. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I, I just had a Kurzweil, I think. And yeah, that, that machine opened up a lot of sampling possibilities for me. And then, yeah, I think I made Point Blank, Manx Team. I made uh, Watch Me Now, Marigold Wild, Timeless Altitude, uh, all those tracks, all I think, hits, in yeah. one year, you know? Oh, wow. And then, uh, yeah, I, I showed it to Michelle. It's like, okay, let's sign this and drop it, you know? And then Music Man picked it up. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, they they re-released it on Music Band, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Timeless Altitude, of course. But the funny thing is, is that my first record, they also uh, released. They signed it from another label. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It was very funny. Yeah, because for me, Timeless Altitude, of course, was like the the introduction to Secret Cinema. You yeah. Know? And then, yeah, it uh, was the first Secret Cinema as well. Okay. Yeah. And that's a hell of a record to debut with. You know? Yeah, not bad. And I mean, there's a there's a lot of uh, you know legendary musicians that have also remixed the record too. You know. Yeah. But one thing that I had written down that I I want to know is why didn't the Minneapolis mix ever get released? I didn't even know that the remix existed. I think it's a it's is it a Music Man thing or something? Yeah. It's, yeah. I think it was. I gotta double check. I want to say it was DJ Slip. Freddie Fresh and uh, who else? Uh, the guy that I'm drawing a mind blank that did Missile. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Dan Curtin or? Well, I think Dan was on there too. I think there's three or four guys. Yeah. Um. Anyway, they they did a, a remix of it and it was super limited pressing. But yeah, that's true. I I only found out about this remix when someone asked for a license to put it on a was it a Ostgood compilation or something or a Berkheim okay. compilation. I think it was Marcel Fengler or all right. And you're like, this, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I'm like, okay, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't guess, even know. I guess that explains the scope of the '90s a little bit, right? For sure. Like, there's so much going on. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, a friend of mine uh, and, and one of our artists, Rainier Zonneveld, he has a track now at uh, in some Netflix series, you know, and they they used it for a couple of minutes and they dropped a bomb uh, load of money for it, you know. But one time I came home from a party and there was like this nighttime bullshit series, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I heard Timeless Altitude and nobody ever paid for that, of course. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so man. these are the 90s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's... I guess at at any point in time, the the music business is was designed to be crooked from the ground up. So it's like you're always going to hear these stories, but it just seems like in the '90s, especially when this music yeah. first started having its heyday and stuff, like yeah, just look at some photos how you looked back then. Oh, totally. <laughs> That's crooked in the first place. But uh, that that reminds me because like I wrote down some notes. Uh, you live in a- in Amsterdam now. Now, yeah, yeah. But you were f- you were a Rotterdam boy for a while, right? Yeah, for twenty years. Yeah, and Rotterdam is known for, of course, the harder, ravier side of, of yeah. dance music. But your output doesn't really show that influence so much. Yeah, I didn't like that direction. Yeah, you know, obviously, I was drawn into it by the Paul Elstock and consorts. But yeah, I don't know. I, you know, in the beginning, it was like okay, the harder the better. Mm-hmm. But with a, within a tempo limit, you know what I mean. Yeah. And then when the tempo just got up and up, I I just didn't like it anymore. Mm-hmm. So this is how I chose to follow Michel de Heis path more because mm-hmm. yeah, they called it mellow back then, you know. Yeah. Which <laughs> is funny because some of those records are still like one thirty six BPM. Yeah, or easily. Something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can I guess the overall vibe was more mellow or something. So I I yeah I felt like I need to continue in this direction. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I also also always felt that, you know, techno was more the music style here to stay because it could always adapt to other styles as well. You can mm-hmm. go hard, you can go soft, you can go anywhere because of this time and BPM kind of restriction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just felt right. You know, yeah. I didn't really feel connection with the hardcore scene. And also, you know, when I first started going out, it was, uh, I think I was 16 or something. And mm-hmm. then... You know, my friends were all much older. They had cars and stuff. And then they brought me to Parksicht. And this is actually the basis for the Gabber sound, you know, that all started there. 
Okay. And, you know, in, in the beginning, it was a lot of RNS records and uh, a lot of Detroit stuff, you know, and then mm -hmm. they would bring 909 machine to the club as well and just, you know, play with it live. And yeah, for me, this was the step into techno, obviously. Yeah. But the moment it became a little bit more like a football hooligan vibe and all this kind of stuff, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm stepping out. You this know, this is not you. my vibe. So, I mean, at that point, were you getting influenced by like uh, stuff coming out of Detroit and Chicago, or is it a bit more on the trance side, or what? what? Um, no, trance. Yeah, there, there was a moment. I mean, I had some IQ uh, tracks uh, that I liked, but uh, most of the trance were too cheesy for me, or something. You know, yeah, it yeah, didn't really course. feel right melody-wise. Uh, but there was this guy in uh, Holland called DJ Dimitri. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was a good friend with Cole Craig and Derek May, you know. And, yeah, he really influenced me into, you know, how you can bring music into, I don't know, house, you know, without really uh, making the most difficult melodies or something. Yeah. And, I don't know, I just felt the the groove and the, and the swing that all those tracks had, you know, the looseness of it all. Yeah. And, and, yeah, that attracted me most, that influenced me a lot. So... Yeah, I think Dimitri is definitely one of my biggest influences. Okay, interesting. Because yeah. I've, I've, I've I actually I heard him play. He played in Detroit at the festival. Man, I want to say um, maybe fifteen years ago or yeah, something. Now. Yeah, uh, I think he was part of the sound architecture stage or showcase. Okay, or yeah, there's a lot of Dutch artists. Um, I could be wrong though. Anyway, but yeah, it's nice to hear about other people because you, you hear a lot of things, especially. From outside of of the Netherlands, you hear like in the states, like Mischa and these guys that were like these global phenomenons for yeah. whatever reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, he he had such a direct link with Carl Craig that uh, you know he was playing like acetates, dub plates, you know, from releases that still had to come out or probably never mm -hmm. saw a, a vinyl release. So you know. Especially back in the day when everything was vinyl, it was very interesting to hear stuff that you've never heard before, you know. Mm -hmm. And I made Timeless Altitude after I heard uh, Six Nine, you know, okay. because it has that yeah. sound in it. And Dimitri was playing it way before it got released, and yeah, I was like, wow, you know, this is this is what mm -hmm. I want to make. So, and then and Timeless Altitude came out. I, I hope I hope Carl has some sort of well, I don't want him to have a midlife crisis, but some sort of like something that clicks. He's like, I got to make some 69 material again. Yeah, you know that would I be mean? nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I mean, it was all sampled, of course. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it, it, it is, um, that is for me also techno, you know, you you take something, you take a loop, you take, yeah, something that catches your emotion and you can repeat it throughout the song and it is, exciting you know it's, it's rising and and it, it gives you a certain uh yeah feeling of okay i i can still have my own fantasy on top of this just one loop and it just gives me enough to keep me going you know exactly and yeah you really had that touch because yeah i just took the best part of one song and then make a whole song out of it you know mm -hmm. and yeah most of my hits were all sampled even mm -hmm. when people don't know where the samples are coming from and he also had that kind of uh you know, super sample ear or something, you know? Like, yeah. what is this, uh, you know, that you later find out, oh, fuck, it was a sample, you know? <laughs> totally. Uh, even, like, um, 
uh, what's the Galaxy track he was sampling stuff like Liaison's Dangerous? Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Liaison Dangerous. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of yellow. Yeah. And yeah. Exactly. But you were saying that like a lot of your stuff is, is sampled material. But what I've noticed from your records over the years is there's still, despite it being samples, there's very much your own sort of sound that yeah, well, kind of happens in every record. That's true. Yeah, well, the thing is, I sample, but then I try to change it so it's not really recognizable anymore. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you hear something in a sample which other people can't hear, so you try to replicate what's in your brain mm -hmm. throughout the sample. You know, and yeah, that, that is obviously the most difficult part to let other people hear what's inside your mind. Totally. And yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really a sample kind of guy. You know, mm -hmm. and I mean. Also, what I've noticed is that, like, uh, I guess you could generalize that and say that's all of techno, but I find it especially true, like, even today to some of your newer stuff, you definitely put a focus, like, on one sort of sound or hook, and not, not so much, like, of course, you might have some background sounds and whatnot going on, but, like, mm -hmm. there's definitely an emphasis, like, on one element rather than... Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh It has to be very upfront. Exactly. I, I really like it when there is just one sound doing it all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it sounds very simple, but it's just enough to tickle your senses and make you go crazy. Mm -hmm. And this is basically also the, the autograph for Secret Cinema, you know? Yeah. Like that you just get enough input so you can have your own fantasy on it. And this own fantasy is your Secret Cinema, you know? Mm -hmm. So... It's funny enough, I, I was just making music back in the day and then I just had to come up with an artist name, you know, for, for all those records. Yeah. And then Grooveyard was more club and then, uh, you know, Secret Cinema was more harder version of uh, club and mm -hmm. a little bit festival or something. But then in the end, it turned out that those names also defied the sound. You yeah. Know? And it is not something that I was thinking about back then, but yeah. reflecting on it, it all worked out this way, you know. So yeah. I think if you call your kid a certain name, it's very important that this is a good name. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I would, this kid yeah, is going to grow up to be his name. Yeah, sometimes you hear these names that people are coming up with and it's like, you don't know what you're doing to this child. You know what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying? I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, Jeroen was actually from Jeronimus, from Jeronimus Bosch, you know. So okay. Kind of dark uh, painter, of course. But uh, yeah, later they call him Jeroen Bosch. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a, but, it's a very typical Dutch name. Yeah. That in, in that sense I know the name. But I mean your own yeah. Typical. Not the best artist name. <laughs> no. But uh I mean, yeah, going back to that, like you said with Timeless Altitude, same with like Gung Ho and, and Acid Come, these are all tracks that have like very definitive elements and stuff. Yeah. Um Gung Ho is not nothing sampled actually. We we had this uh, O2R from Yamaha mixer. Okay. And one day I went to Robert Gross, who's my musical mentor, basically. His his library and his brain is just the biggest that I know. It goes from any type of music. Wow. So he he gives me like hard drives with one and a half gigabytes of, you know, just African music from tapes and radio. He's just whatever. a collector. It's insane collector and... Really good DJ as well, just a little bit too edgy, you know, for a lot of mm -hmm. people. But I love it. It feeds my brain. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we thought, well, okay, let's collaborate, you know. You have a studio now and uh, let's work on this. And then I, I borrowed a M-Tech uh, EQ or something. Mm -hmm. It was like 8,000 guilders, whatever, you know, for an EQ. I was like, okay, let's put a bass drum into this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the bass drum of Gung Ho. And then... 
you know, the, the, the track was there and I used the MPC 3000 to make that groove a little bit, you mm -hmm. know. Give it the swing. Yeah, give it the swing. There was a nice groove in the background. If you really uh, focus on it, you can hear it. The, the kick obviously is very loud. Mm -hmm. But uh, we needed something more. And then there was in onboard effects on the Yamaha, that flanger. And that mm -hmm. is the flanger sound. And we could like mitigate it as well. So all of a sudden it was there, you know, just in one take. And that was the track. So, awesome. Yeah. And it was like gung ho, you know, like go crazy. Exactly, it's yeah. full on, full, full throttle, throttle festival <laughs> style. Yeah, and I mean, so you know, all those tracks, like just a few of those hits that I named, they're all they're hits, but they're different. Like Timeless Altitude is very more melodic and deeper, whereas Gung Ho is full on, and Acid Come is is harder too. But that's more on the darker tip. Yeah, and then of course, you know, more recently have. Uh, for people that are maybe a little bit newer, like some of your hits on drum code are still, um, they're nothing like the old ones, for example, but yeah. they're still undeniably secret cinema, you know? Yeah, well, the, you know, it's a collaboration with Egbert, of course, so he definitely has his signature sound in there as well. But the mm -hmm. funny thing is when I discovered him, he told me that, you know, when when they were talking about releasing music, that they would listen to Secret Cinema tracks, like, it needs to sound like this and stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, that, you know, that influence is in there, which I, we only found out later. Mm -hmm. I found out later. He knew it already, of course. Um, so, yeah, it is funny to see, you know, that this influence is in there and that you also can communicate through music, you know, mm -hmm. like that without knowing that it is in there, you know? Yeah. and. This is what surprises me always about this electronic music because before it was not music, you know? When I mm -hmm. grew up, it was just, what is this, you know? This is not music. It's just a loop and, you know, when you repeat the loop uh, 15 times, everybody's going to like it, you know? That's what they would say. Yeah. But now to discover every time that the musicality is in its simplicity is something which is surprising but also very comforting that it's in there, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so... When we play together, we do a lot of back-to-back -to -back sets together, long ones, like six hours. Uh, yeah, it just morphs uh, so smoothly into each other. So, yeah, obviously collaborating mm -hmm. is also like this. So the the basis is Egbert, and then I finalize it and, you know, put some secret cinema sauce on top of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but with Maximal, we, we, it's still being played everywhere, you know? Like, it was the most played track on Awakenings, last Awakenings Festival. Really? Crazy. And which is quite crazy, you know? I mean, but uh, the Dutch have a certain, and maybe I'm generalizing, but I think in general, like, you guys have a really, you have an ear probably because it's festival culture, but those are, their festival tracks are perfect for that sort of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the, the balance within this track is so neatly done that, you know, it sounds good in the club, it sounds good in a festival, it has so much energy, it's just enough, and... Yeah, it is really both uh, Egbert and me that could only make a track like this, you know? Mm -hmm. But it, it's funny to see that this both our sauce <laughs> into it. And yeah, we named our kid Maximal, which is kind of, uh, when we made it, it's almost four years old already, the track. You wow. know? It was more like when the minus uh, was, you know, at yeah. its peak maybe. Well, maybe it's actually longer ago. But th that was the basis for the track. And then... Yeah, you know, there were two breaks in it, which st it still has those two breaks, but I always felt like there there is something missing, you know? We can't do just two of the same breaks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I had Bitwig, and then it was like, okay, let's let's drop it again. Let's try, you know, to put all those stems into Bitwig and see what happens. 
And then all of a sudden it hit me like, okay, this needs to be done. After the second break, we need that ting, 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 ting sound. And mm-hmm. then I added some extra effects and then, yeah, this is it. This is it. So that's, Sometimes it takes a while. There's tracks where you, I, I sit on for almost a year and then I'm like, all yeah. right, you hear a vocal, you're like, that's what's going into the track or, yeah. uh, you know, like that's something. But Bitwig, would you say that, is that like a big thing for you now? For those that don't know, it's like a another music making program but <laughs> yeah it's uh based on ableton but it's a little bit uh yeah less live more studio i guess mm-hmm. for now um yeah i don't know i really like how it looks and it gives me kind of a calm feeling mm-hmm. and i can arrange in it really nicely because of the the sketch uh like the scenes mm-hmm. and the arrangement is next to each other so you can really easily swap things around and kind of like sketch already and 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 then draw it into the i mean drag it into the arrangement view and it has a very modular sense to it or something and okay it's something which uh stuck to me after the Kurzweil, you know the k2000 mm-hmm. it had um like you know lfos for everything uh of strange algorithms and yeah, you just put a, a sample in there and then you would put an algorithm on top of it and then you could just change the whole algorithm from, uh, you know, high pass filter to bond pass filter to notch to whatever and then the whole sound would change. And then, um, you know, you, you would get results that you could never think of yourself, but you knew yeah. it was in there or something because you heard a certain frequency. And after that, I was always searching for something that could do the same thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Kurzweil was still way ahead of that. And now Bitwig kind of has that similar uh, setup. You know, you can just put an LFO to something and, and send it to anywhere. And, you know, yeah, it just gives me that uh, I can take one little loop and then I can make it completely organic by just putting, you know, the right LFO and the right transient, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, moving and stuff. And then it sounds like it's, uh, yeah, being drummed by a guy from Africa or whatever, you know? <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, totally. So very simple, but still uh, very alive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this program really helps me with that. Nice. Yeah, I, it's one of those things I keep hearing about it. And I'm going to check it out at some point, but I just... Uh when it comes, you know, you have those days just like, I really need to get it in the studio and get something done. And you don't want to take yeah. the time to learn something new, but... I can understand that completely. The problem is, you know, when I was using Ableton, I just could never finish a track, you know? Yeah. And I think I had a writer's block for two years with yeah. that program because I was using FL Studio before. Yeah. And it was only PC-based and my girlfriend lives in uh, Singapore, so I had to travel back and forth for mm-hmm. three years. And... Yeah, I, I just couldn't bring and a Mac, uh, which I used to play, uh, you know, DJ sets with, yeah. and uh, a PC to make music. So I yeah. had to choose, okay, I need to combine everything into one uh, mm-hmm. machine. And then, yeah, I, I, the, the only solution was back then uh, to use Ableton. I had mm-hmm. really great ideas, but I could never really finish them, you know. And so, yeah, I got a little bit stuck and then I saw that Bitwig was coming and I immediately wrote myself into the beta mm-hmm. system. And then when it got released, I bought it immediately and it was like, yeah, this is what I need, you know? Sometimes you just uh, have that. You feel something yeah. is not right and then you got to change it and then there are all the hits again. Totally. I mean, th- and that's the thing. Like people, people don't realize like whether you have the same gear, same programs as somebody, it doesn't matter because we all have different workflows. There's yeah. some guys that work in Reason. And yeah. for me, Reason just 
doesn't click. No. <laughs> um, but some people, they get great results out of it. So Exactly. Uh, you know? But, I mean, that being said, you, you, you said you had the writer's block and you're, you're really active on making stuff again. Um, you got stuff. Well, I want to bring it up. I want to talk about it a little bit more later, but your label gem, you do a lot of stuff on there. As we mentioned, you did yep. stuff on drum code. Is there kind of like a certain approach or vibe you're going for with this, with cracking out tracks now, like um, club stuff, festival or all over or? Uh, well, yeah, the thing is, you know, when, when I collaborate with Eggbert, it's uh, mostly party tracks. It's it's just who we well, I mean, are. That's the under <laughs> that's the underlying vibe of your sound. It seems, you yeah, know, not, never too dark or, or scary. Just kind of like having fun. Yeah, shit. and this is a funny uh, story as well because when I started my company, it was maybe ninety two. Mm-hmm. I had to come up with a name, and I called it Center Beam, and it basically means like in the middle. And if you listen to all the tracks that I make, when everyone goes left, I go right, but I stay in the middle. You know, so yeah. I, I never want to go too extreme to one side or too extreme to the other side. I want to be in between what is popular at this certain moment yeah. in time. So, yeah, recently I made uh, like a, a Ben Clock kind of sound uh, in between drum code and Ben Clock, you know, because kind of, you know, like the Ostgood tone sound or something or some really basic techno. But then, uh, you know, drum code can sound basic but also very big room you know oh, yeah, definitely. and i really wanted to be in the middle of that so i think recently i created again a new type of sound and is that out or is that something that you just did uh i just did but it's coming out on my own label okay and yeah i don't know i i gave it to some people i gave it to enrico and i think i gave it to adam as well but i can't remember that i did that but yeah. he was playing at a time warp all of a sudden okay. i was like wow this is really not a track for adam to play i thought this is why i also didn't send it to him yeah. to release or whatever but yeah he he perfectly brought it and it was a really good set actually on, on yeah. time Warp. i was enjoying it a lot awesome very uh yeah melodic but also very organic mm-hmm. uh you know not too static yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it really a lot. And the the moment he played that track, I was like, "What? He's playing Seance? I can't, yeah. I, can't, I couldn't believe it." You know? Well, that's the thing. You know, uh, I mean, I guess it's more apparent to me because I I've had closer contact to Adam than other people listening to the show, obviously. But yeah. uh, he's a guy that he he still is a, a massive music fan in general like that's it just yeah. because maybe he's doing let's say the drum code sound at the moment he's still like looking up other stuff he'll still play there's times where i hear him play like too hard for my taste you yeah. know what i mean like yeah, he, I know he's all mean. over he he, will, he wants to have the new levon vincent record he wants the yeah. new secret <laughs> cinema you know what i mean like he just likes to have it all yeah whether uh whether he plays it regularly or not is a different story but um you know that's that's the thing with a lot of these people and i'm sure as you can attest yeah, you said you like to do longer sets for six hours. You can't play the same shit all night. You know what no. I mean? So like, I'm sure that you have a pretty wide range of tastes as well. So yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, you know, sometimes it also blocks your mind a little bit, you know, because uh, yeah, you want to play this, but you have to play that. And in the end, you're also a DJ. You know, mm-hmm. I always used to play live, of course, and since 2009, I I just didn't want to anymore. I was going to ask about that. But, uh, yeah, because I had all these demos from Eggbird and all these other guys. And, yeah, I just wanted to play that, you know. And I, I also needed a new direction for my career to freshen things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, that really worked out well, I think. But um, yeah, the, the taste is much more broad than uh, that what you sometimes can play. You know, people expect you to do a certain thing mm -hmm. and you have to feel that in the audience as well. And I also don't like to stay in that one thing the whole time, you know, go left a little bit, go right. Let's see how far you can go. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sometimes that all comes together and then you have like ecstatic uh, DJ moment and the tears are in your eyes, you know yeah. what I mean? But yeah, it just doesn't happen that much, but you have to be solid and always deliver a good party, I think. Exactly. I mean, there's a couple things about that. One, like, yeah, as a DJ, especially when, let's say, you're a headliner that's flying in from another country and there's, it doesn't matter if there's 300 people on the floor or 3,000, like, you're kind of in control for the night. A lot went into that party. You can't, yeah. everybody's like, just show up and do whatever you want. No compromises. I'm like, yeah, to a degree, that's what you should do, but like, you if yeah. you just show up and like a jackass completely destroy the vibe because it's like this is what you believe in yeah i think that's I, horrible it kind of it's it's unprofessional and i know a lot of people right now that are be listening are like what the fuck that's bullshit but i mean <laughs> there is somewhat of a responsibility that like you need to deliver and that doesn't mean you have to play shit you don't like but no, is find it, a way to make it work on your terms. Too, exactly. You know? Yeah, is it within the limits of your own taste? You try to bring people to the next level, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, sometimes uh, you just gotta stay to a certain sound because you know it's it's so different also to play for three hundred people or three thousand. You know, the energy Definitely. is so different, and there is also so many different people on the dance floor that it is nice to give all of those people a certain moment of like, whoa, this was a cool record, you know? Exactly. And then, yeah, that means that another person is not going to like it uh, at that moment, but then later in the set, maybe there's a record that you can like, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's always easy to criticize about uh, the record that you don't like, but I think it's much nicer if you just uh, connect to the records that you do like, because it's all a party, we're all in it, and... Even the lighting guy needs to feel good when you're playing, you know Definitely. what I mean? Because otherwise it's not going to be a good party. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you're just going to play your own uh, stuff and uh, there is like two, uh, you know, smoking uh, black uh, dressed guys uh, in the corner uh, that know everything about the newest modeler system saying that was cool. Yeah, okay, well, that is not really my thing. I want everybody to have a good night, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, and it's like you were saying, you, you really try to stay in the middle lane but also not follow a trend per se and i you know yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way and i've had a lot of people on the show that are in in that category too like ambivalent or ryan elliott these are people that uh they can play house they can play techno they can go yeah. all over up and down and uh it can be a little bit harder because it seems like these days um our society is kind of favoring people that kind of lean towards one idea or tunnel vision yeah. whether it's political or musical or you name it yeah uh let's say it's more specialized taste and i mean i can respect that too but for me i, I think it's 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 more difficult but it's also more interesting to have the the mindset yeah. that we share you know yeah, and then in the end, you know, I mean, it, it was a while since I made uh, really a track by myself that I really felt confident about as well. Talking back to that seance mm -hmm. track that I sent uh, or didn't send to Adam, I, don't, I really still don't know how he got it. I need to look into my emails. But, uh, you know, for me, it was like I really appreciated that he was playing you know, this track, which has a completely different sound to anything that is going on on his label. and mm -hmm. But 
also that he could hear like the emotion in it and because i was playing it obviously myself already mm-hmm. and every time i played it yeah the room just connected really well to it you know especially women uh they felt the emotion and then you know the men obviously uh join in the in the mm-hmm. in the party but yeah i don't know it did something to people this track so yeah, it, it's nice to also see that, uh, you know, with, with the big guys and, and picking that up. And yeah, the, this is what it's all about. So you, you stay, you go a little bit edgy and then when it gets picks up, picked up, it is maybe not that one beatport hit or whatever, but it will stick around for a long time. And this is what it's about, you know, the, the, the best records are not like immediate hits on t- unless they're a formula. Yeah. But the first ones are always a little bit on the left side or the right side, whatever, from what is popular, just a little bit refreshing. And that takes longer to get picked up. Exactly. And then, yeah, it also has a longer longevity, I think. I mean, you know, that's a thing, like, when it comes to tracks, you either have, like, the big hit that is just massive and you can't stop hearing at parties for, well, these days, about two or three weeks, and then it disappears forever. Yeah. Or, you know, you have a track, kind of like Timeless Altitude or something, that just people will play forever yeah. uh, or like I'd say like Quavadas by uh, G-Man you know what I mean yeah, this is yeah. a track like I refer to these as jams more than like hits because they're they're anthems but they're not over the top it's just a groove like every time that comes on you're like okay yeah, you can get down to it you know it's not zone, you know? it's not over the top it's just always gonna be consistently good and yeah 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 exactly but, that <laughs> I mean like for for example you're talking about you know, doing hits and everything. Like I, I was telling someone last night, I wrote a track. I looked at the date. It was December of 2015. And it was like a really big over the top. I want to say trancey melody, but not full on trance. And like, even I, I played it for some of the more purest techno guys. And they're like, Oh, that's, that's actually pretty good. You should do something with it. I'm like, nobody's going to play that kind of trancey shit anymore. And at <laughs> the moment, it seems like that's a really popular thing. In exactly. So yeah. I missed the boat on that. There you have and, it. <laughs> but and I was like, well, f- maybe I should just finish it up and put it out just to collect a little bit of cheddar on that. But, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, you know, one or two people did something on the side and it, it picked up because yeah. of that emotion. And then uh, it becomes the, you know. Yeah, the next big thing or something. For a while, yeah. But this is the thing, you know. I mean, you're not making music to become a hit. You want to make something which is true to yourself, but it would be really nice if it got picked up, obviously. Because, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, th- there's always this discussion about being commercial and, and not. I mean, everyone is commercial. If, mm-hmm. you, if you release your music, you're commercial. It's simple. Yeah. You know? Or, or you need to sit down on the street, but or even these people ask for money. So if you ask for money, you're commercial. It's simple as that. So just try to make what you like and don't go you know in a mm-hmm. certain flow just to make money because yeah in, in the end it's not going to last long yeah i think i hope <laughs> yeah well i mean the thing is there's people that you know i'm i'm so over the whole underground versus commercial debate but like there's people existing in the quote-unquote underground part of let's say techno that are just in it to make a payday too and versus there's people that are doing the commercial thing that sure i'm sure they like the 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 payday too but they actually just like that music you know what i mean yeah that's also true yeah um i don't i guess i've just do what you want i guess but of course the the credibility stands out and in the if if you want to stand the test of time you can't 
rely on it solely as a paycheck. No, but, I think that's impossible. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a choice also. You either take the long road or you don't. Yeah. And if you want to live, uh, you know, make a living out of, of out of this music because you love it so much, then yeah, it takes a lot of effort and it has ups and downs. And you, sometimes you need to connect to what's going on again mm -hmm. just to get back on track. And yeah, that that is normal, I think. You know, but yeah, you can see just a few guys are in this business for such a long time and they get bigger and bigger. So I guess, uh, yeah, there is that, that, that is still going on if you stay true to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it, people feel it if you like the music or not. Yeah. That being said, I mean, like you, you've been around for, you said since 91, you put out your first yeah. record. So yeah. I don't want to do the math right now. I guess it's what, 26, 26 years. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I mean, you, you still got a nice schedule. You're traveling around, playing cool gigs, putting on records that are doing well, but you don't have, you know, you don't have the whole ego thing that comes with it. Like a lot of the other people, you're just kind of enjoying it. Like, would you say that as you've gotten older, it's just something you like, you kind of learn to enjoy certain parts of it, not stress about the other parts or, um, I mean, well, the thing is, you know, when, when everything goes well, I don't stress about other parts. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I would say that's the general consensus. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the thing is, I can see all these guys around me making shitload of money. And that sometimes stresses me out because I'm still doing, uh, you know, also gigs that are not that well paid. Mm -hmm. But even though I would get 20K at the festival, I would still do that 1,500 euros gig uh, at a small club because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can never, like, deny your roots or something. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah, that said, uh, I, you know, the thing is, I, I really want every gig, of, obviously, to be sold out. Yeah, know? of course. And, and we all want that you know, yeah. success out of, uh, or whatever we do to be received well. Let's put it yeah, that way, exactly. you know? You know, because otherwise you feel like you're not going down the right path or mm -hmm. uh, you're not appreciated, you know, and it's very sensitive for a musician, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's always very difficult also to read, uh, you know, the critics and it's best not to do it, you know. Just put your music out and don't, you know, think about what other people think about it uh, or what mm -hmm. other people write about it because, you know, the negativity will always stay with you or something. You oh, know? yeah. All it takes is one comment. Just one comment and then, you know, yeah, y you can uh, be awake at night, <laughs> you know. Exactly. And, I mean... I don't these days I don't I don't read anything online about uh whether I wouldn't say anything but I, I majority, try to deny yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the thing is this, I mean, I see Maceo Plex playing at the uh, ADE at the Tunnel Museum and uh, the moment of the night was that Maximal track. Mm -hmm. And I was at uh, Silver Talent Festival last uh, weekend and Sven plays and he's you know, the moment of his set is Maximal, you mm -hmm. know, still. And that is the the best critic that you can have, you know, that people are playing your music and that people go off on it for me. That is, yeah, this, this is what that track is. So that should be uh, happening. Yeah. And as long as that doesn't happen, then yeah, go on to the next one. But uh, yeah, obviously it helps if you're on a label, which is uh, in the picture, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's also Adam that picked this track out. I was going to release it on my own label on Jam Records together with Elemental on the backside. But then he said, you know, can I release it on the compilation? I was like, well, okay then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? And it was a really good move because, yeah, people picked it up and, uh, and yeah, you get the right attention to it. And then, yeah, it was like the second best uh, selling uh, record. 
but it stayed around the longest, you know, it's still being played. It, that is the one track being played still of that compilation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, th- this is, you know, what you want. This is for, this is the only critic that you need, mm-hmm. you know? Do I hear it? Yes, good. Yeah, <laughs> well, that that's, for me, that's the thing, because like, you know, people say, they come up to me like, oh, hey, I love your new record, or I've been playing it, but maybe it's just me, I'm a little skeptical, where, but I'll kind of be like, are you is this person really playing it? Like, cause it's, yeah, yeah. But when you finally hear it out, you're like, oh, okay, this is actually happening. Cause yeah. I feel like sometimes a lot of people just blow smoke up your ass to make <laughs> you feel better. But Well, in the end, uh, I like people to make me feel better. Well, I like it's that better too. Than that but one I, like, I like true validation where it's like, yeah, for you, sure. you see that, like you said, you see that track blowing up fake before news, your eyes. Fake news, fake news. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and you know, uh, another thing that I realized that just popped into my head is that, uh, even though you've been doing records since 91, you got numerous aliases, but in this regard, we're focusing more on secret cinema. You still have kept the output fairly minimum compared to a lot of artists that have been around for you know 30 years also. Because a lot of guys, like especially back then, it made sense to pop out like six, seven records a year. They didn't care. They were just like, yeah. I don't know if anybody thought that this wasn't going to last or they didn't, I think they just didn't think about it at the time or like setting a legacy or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, most of the tracks that I release are already on the shelves for maybe one or two years. Mm-hmm. So it kind of defies the sense of time already. So the moment you release it, it's already kind of like a timeless record or something. You yeah. Know? And I think it's better to just make one or two of those hits in a year. Mostly it's just one. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, which stay around for a long time, then six that are like, yeah, mediocre, mm-hmm. you know, because for me, I also need to listen to this record every time. Mm-hmm. I, I want to play it, you yeah. know? So it's still such an amazing feeling that, you know, two, maybe two years ago we did Maxima for the first time at Awakenings Festival, then last year, and now this year again, and every time I play this track, it the roof goes off you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's maybe you know it feels bigger than straight to stability for example you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i never play it so <laughs> <laughs> not of, no offense but no, no. Uh, no i mean you know this feeling of seeing people going off on your record so hard and you still like the record this is yeah this is what it's all about for me you know Definitely. It, it gives such a rush and such a great feeling yeah that being said, is there any hits that you just absolutely don't want to play or hear again? <laughs> well, there is Grooveyard Marigold. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is because the mix is just horrible, you know? Yeah. I just made it... But I mean, uh, that record... In Holland, it was a big hit. Yeah, yeah, but I guess right now it doesn't feel maybe at the time as relevant to play. Yeah, exactly. Would maybe you disagree? I don't know. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely not a track that I would play because it's it's Grooveyard, first of yeah. all, so it's not secret cinema. Yeah. It's, it's definitely another genre. It's more club music. Yeah. But yeah, it was just uh, a lucky happening that that we- track went into uh, 11 or 12 in the top 40 in mm-hmm. Holland back then. And yeah, I don't know. It was like on 300 compilation CDs or whatever, yeah. you know. It just made a living for me. I could live from making, from releasing music. I didn't have to play, you know. Great. Yeah, that's a thing. Like, I mean, I don't know. I always go into the, I always end up bringing up the history stuff on the show because I get off on it. But like the 90s is still crazy. And like when I, I put on my first record, I, th- I think in 2001 or two, I got to check this guy to myself. Yeah. Uh, 
it sold a thousand copies, which was considered a flop at the time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but still, I was selling records at a decent rate after that for a while, and like you could still, you could, you know, remodel your bathroom or some shit on it. Like there was real money there. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I don't know. Like just the idea of putting out a record like Merry Go Wild or Timeless Altitude or something and just like kick back and be like, cool, I got this record out. I'm, I'm good for a while. And then the gigs come on top of it, which yeah. back then, you know, for some people there was way more gigs, you know, than yeah. there is now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, because I never wanted to DJ per se because I'm, I'm an artist. I want to play my music on stage live, you mm-hmm. know, that, that was my motto back then. And Michelle was more the DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, I did buy a lot of records, but mm-hmm. I really like house records as well, you know, like yeah. there's solid grooves and I have, I mean, I, I moved to Amsterdam two years ago mm-hmm. and then I had to move all my record collection and that was like, okay, shit, a lot of boxes <laughs> and I'm unpacking it a little, and actually I just wanted to stash it in the garage, you know, because I don't know, I, I don't know why I didn't care so much anymore. I thought, you know, this is past time, uh, we have to go look forward. Um, but then my girlfriend said, no, you should be proud of your record collection. Definitely. You know? So just put it in the living room, you know, and, and build it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got, I'm actually trying to get rid of some records here. <laughs> I started the Discogs thing last week and already I'm I'm making some fucking money, man. Yeah, it's yeah, well, crazy. Th- this is crazy, definitely. So yeah, I have a few records which are worth like 300, 400 euros or something. Yeah. But, you know, I, I come to realize that uh, obviously there's a lot of shit records in there as mm-hmm. well. I, I need to get rid of it. But, but some people don't think that that's shit. You know, one man's Trizash. That's true. I mean, a lot of people sold their 909 back in the day as well. Yeah. And now they think back like, okay, I need to scratch my head. Exactly. What did I do? You know what I mean? So for me, like my record collection would be a lot bigger if it wasn't for the CD. You know, yeah. I, I got, just got trapped into the marketing of CD and mm-hmm. I bought a lot of CDs. Yeah. But yeah, it just, just doesn't have that value, you know, nah. which you only find out later. Sometimes, yeah, you just miss it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think I, like everybody else, I had CDs too and everything. But uh, I would say the reason half the people can't, there's no resale market for the CDs is because they would always throw them on the fucking floor of the car and the cases would get smashed yeah, and scratched yeah, exactly. up. So <laughs> Yeah, and this is a funny thing. When I released that 25 years uh, Secret Cinema box last year. Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. Yeah, there there was a CD with live sets on it and we, you know, by hand broke all the covers of the CD because it's one of those CDs that's laying around of in course. your car. That's <laughs> we, hilarious. <laughs> we, we got a lot of emails like, oh, the CD is broken and blah, blah, blah. Well, no, it's not broken. It's on purpose. Otherwise, <laughs> all those vinyls on top would also be broken. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, nice. that was that was kind of like the joke. of Exactly. Uh, so, if, if, if you were around, you would know that, but if, if, if you didn't do the whole CD thing. But. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I almost put a little bit of tape in there which got cluttered (laughs) (laughs) and a pencil to get it all right (laughs) (laughs) but uh so that being said uh you did you did a lot of live sets yeah um you you said you you basically just want to dj now but are you uh are you gonna do more live sets in the future what's the deal the thing is is that you know i i i got a native instruments jam from the guys to check it out mm-hmm. and for you know this this finally gave me a feeling of okay i can be in control of everything mm-hmm. and keep it very simple and on the fly like make some scenes and you know with the, the that lock mode you can 
like put all the filters on or off or whatever you want to to look yeah. at it and uh, there was this machine which I was using in the in the peak time of techno around 2000 2001. I made Acid come with it, uh, Volt. Which machine? Uh, it's the Yamaha SU700. Okay, yeah. And I still have them. You know, yeah, I was playing. DJ was using a couple of those for his live sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He saw me playing with it on uh, TV actually when I was Funny. doing a Grooveyard set, <laughs> and I was playing all these secret cinema shit. Yeah. But he said, yeah, yeah, you're playing with this SU700. How does it sound like? I said, man, you, should, you need to buy this thing because. It feels amazing, you know, you put a loop in it, you tweak it a little bit, and uh, there's this one filter in it, the BEP filter, and it just, yeah, you can filter out. It's a super notch or something. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's really a sample monster, you know, and then it loops straight and it stretches and everything, but it just sounds right or something. Mm -hmm. Those effects are really nice, but you have to turn the knobs and you have to uh, scene, have to program those scene buttons, which is the same as that lock on the jam mm-hmm. and yeah those scene buttons you know and and the the endless rotaries they just made my life so i have two i had two of them mm-hmm. and then i was playing on one machine and then i was loading a new track into on the, the other, other. Mm-hmm. and then i would just mix it like a dj set you know because yeah it's a computer kind of thing so the mm-hmm. tempo kind of stays the same yeah but yeah, I started at 138 BPM, you know, it was normal back yeah. in the day. Everyone was playing 140 or something. Yeah. yeah. But the funny thing is, is that I, after that machine, I could never really feel bonded with my life set anymore, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah, I could maybe use two laptops and yeah. then, uh, you know, load a new track, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But then, yeah, I know. I, I, then you need to program those MIDI things and then I didn't know what and mm-hmm. when and I don't know. But the funny thing is that this week uh, a friend of mine, he's called Kaap uh, as an artist, he's coming to the studio because he bought one of those SU700s recently. Okay. And I... What do those go for even now, do you know? Yeah, maybe 300 or something. Okay. It, it has some kind of revival uh, because someone posted, because those endless rotaries, they get screwed you yeah. know so when you turn it, it the values it jump all, all over, over. yeah but there was one guy he he refurbished his su700 with new encoders and he put the whole thing online like this is how you repair it i was like i need to do this and then <laughs> i bumped into robert in uh, on some party he's like yeah i bought su700 i heard you have one as well and i did those rotary encoders i said dude come over and we, we fix this together so we're going to solder this thursday uh, the new encoders on top of it. I bought a Scusi 2SD uh, uh, card yeah. so I can put all the files that I ever had, you know, into one of those SDs inside that machine. And I think the SU700 is back in my live set. So my awesome. live set is going to be two times SU700 with a little modular in between. Awesome. Well, yeah. uh, so maybe maybe this winter or something like that once you get it Hopefully. Sort of- yeah. yeah, and then uh, you know, once I'm back into this, I'm I think I'm back uh, live uh, and and uh, and kicking. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I can't wait. Actually, yeah, I mean, like I, I've we've played together. I've seen you DJ, but I, I never got a chance to see you live. But it's it's something I've always wanted to see. You know. Yeah, well, you know, with those machines, it was really a lot of energy, and mm-hmm. now you know, with this funny uh, Eurorack modeler stuff, uh, you know, I'm going to Schneider's Laden after this with Alexander. So you're gonna basically leave uh, any money that you made in Berlin, you'll be leaving in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> I think the economic cycle is uh, solid here. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, yeah, Alex said yesterday, uh, yeah, I'm going to Schneider's Laden, you wanna join? I'm like, uh-oh. 
you know uh-huh. there goes are you my a big feet. modular guy or well big i really love uh, turning that thing on and record everything you know yeah. it's just so much fun and um you know the moment i had that writer's block i just made endless recordings on the modular actually and I, I i put it all in some dropbox file and then i send it around to some of my artists and uh, when uh, I bumped into Rainier, we went into the studio together to make some tracks because I felt he could uh, do better or needed a push and maybe he, we could use my name, you know, to get it a little bit more out there. And also I could learn from his skills as well. I, I like to connect with people, you know, that have mm-hmm. a certain talent. And I could feel that he has the potential to change also the techno scene a little bit into another direction or something. Um and then I showed him all those recordings. And I was like, wow, let's use this and let's use this, you know? And then we, we made Extreme. And yeah, every time I play that track also, you know, there's such a good response because, yeah, the sound is so deep, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when you play it loud, you hear the dynamics of the modular system all of a sudden. You're like, okay, this is not in the box, definitely, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I try to avoid the whole hardware versus software debate. Uh, the one thing I always do say is like being able to use two hands instead of one finger will drastically change your results. Definitely. That's anything in life. But um, <laughs> when it comes to modular stuff, uh, because it, it's so raw, like it's it's actual current, you know, energy going through the system. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say that it like makes richer tones or something, but it seems like more louder, more like, you know. Yeah, it it doesn't necessarily mean that you hear it louder when you're in the studio, but once you play it louder, it is there, you know. It's yeah. like, where is the sound coming from? There is harmonics. And also, you know, if you, the the cool thing now is, is that it's so easy to connect it to your uh, DAW, you know. Bitwig yeah. has... Uh, hardware cv modulations you know yeah. now and you can just directly push it into one of those expert sleeper things mm-hmm. and you just use some lfos which just yeah. run and then you can use your other hands to do stuff live and um you know the thing is when you record it and then you put like a fab filter saturn on it for example yeah. like a you know multi-band distortion you instantly you put the highs up you're like what is this? You know? It, it brings out all these little characteristics you never know. Crystal, noticed. river, whatever, and then yeah. you ditch everything else, and then just the layer as a reverb on top of your track just makes everything yeah. sound more crispy, you know? And that is just nerd stuff, of course, but, yeah, but I, I mean, love it. <laughs> this this is really no different than when everybody went electric with the guitar, though. Exactly. It's like everybody, exactly. you know, like... I, I personally don't do the modular thing because I know I'll just get obsessed. I'll spend so much fucking yeah. money and yeah. get go down that rabbit hole. I, I, I went 700 bucks in and then immediately was like, I got to get rid of this stuff because it's going to get worse. Well, but, th- there, there is a choice you can make. You can say, okay, I'm going to use this as the basis of my studio and then you're lost. You're mm-hmm. going to be 20K further uh, next year. Yeah. And you have to sell your car and your girlfriend doesn't have a ring, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But... You can also think like, okay, I'm just going to use it for some effects. Yeah. Just use two strange, you know, input models and, and then, uh, and then or a sequencer or something. Just one little thing nowadays because, you know, they, they are putting more stuff into one module yeah, nowadays. Like the, and then, the, the make noise O-Coast and all that. These yeah, are good yeah. little beginner boxes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it has wavetables and it has the, a little bit of a delays inside and stuff. And then, yeah, you, you really don't need that much. And to be honest, 
whenever I turn the machine on, I always go back to the same modules and the rest is just like a big Tetris block around it hanging there, Yeah, you know? Well, that's the other problem is like you start buying stuff and you realize you don't need that in your collection. Yeah, but the and thing I mean, is that there is such a lively market out there that you can also sell it again, you know? This mm-hmm. is just, yeah, I don't know. I You kind of connect uh, to to sound and to people as well yeah it's really interesting though too because like a lot you know the modular craze it's it's not even a craze it's just it's been around for i mean forever but the 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 current popularity has been around for a good four or five years at least now yeah and it's not just i mean in fact most of the people are not dance music kids it's people that just want to mess around maybe it's bored people at home or they're like rock and roll people or you know yeah. what I mean or uh, hobbyists for that exactly. matter you, know? you can play with uh, trains from Fleischmann or you can do a modular setup oh. but it, the thing is that it's so interesting because you really it's really plug and play you know you yeah. plug it in and then to trial and error you understand what what a certain machine can do and it actually taught me more about synthesis than you know any other like uh, maybe, uh, you know, teacher could tell me, you know yeah. what I mean? Because you, you know, I, I was looking still, again, back to that Kurzweil for something that could replace that machine. And then I was like, hey, there is modeler out there. Maybe it has a sampler. Yeah. If it has a sampler, I'm going to go for it. And then Qubit came out I with that thing. I was just going to say, yeah. That was my step into, that, uh, into the system. I was like, okay, I need this. You know, then I can combine a sine wave with a sample and just do the use a little granular on it and put the LFO and then whoa this is possible I can make six oscillators yeah. whatever yeah and then yeah all hell broke loose <laughs> that, that yeah. being said it's not necessary to have the modular but it is it can be fun you know for sure yeah it's not necessary um, but the hands on fun I mean in the end you want to have fun in the studio mm-hmm. and I just have more fun standing up you know and yeah. not sitting down yeah, that's a really good point to make because um, I kind of, I realized that after I didn't, uh, in my minute, because I have two studios, I have one in Minneapolis and I, I didn't have an extra chair and the table is high, so I had to stand up and I'm like, this kind of changes everything. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm working with Joel Mull in Sweden on records and he has one of those really nice desks with the motor that raises up or down. Where I need that. <laughs> uh, I really want it too. I need to call and, him. And... Uh, it's great because like we would stand up and you jam out, yeah, whatever, and then after you've been standing for four hours, you're like, "Fuck, lower the desk," and then you sit down and then you do the arrangement. But yeah. it, it really, I mean, it's like it gets you on your toes, literally. You know, yeah. like you're functional. Like it's really easy to get cozy in your chair and sit there with a sandwich or something. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think if if you if if you're listening and you're trying to make sure you try standing up and jamming out, like it's completely different. Exactly. I opinion. mean, this is how I started, obviously. You know, I had the MPC 3000 to uh, connect all the machines. I didn't have much. I was mm-hmm. always a very low uh, studio, low, low, low quantity, you know, yeah. more like use everything which is inside a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, still also sample base, obviously, but... Um, I would have effects on the mixer and then, you know, turn on play and then have all the patterns ready. And it, the music was more in your head, you know, uh, like, okay, now I'm going to change this pattern. And then I put the effect on a little bit and then back off. And then, yeah, everything was made when I, while I was dancing, basically. Yeah. And yeah, so 
yeah that already makes uh, for a good start i guess for a good dance record you know if you are making it dancing and standing up but what i like now is that you just jam around and then you record everything on the tracks in the in the DAW and then mm -hmm. you start treating those recordings as a sample so yeah. you make your own samples and then yeah i don't know because you have all the original material already recorded you can you know screw around with it endlessly and make a really nice arrangement and shift things around and then yeah it's a whole new perspective of uh, of making music you know and mm -hmm. i really love it like this yeah i'm i agree 100 percent. and i when i was younger i didn't used to really subscribe to these ideas or something but i think it's uh the 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 mindset that you're in when you're making music is extremely important just as like at the work at a workplace like if you're somebody that's working in a cubicle and the lighting sucks and everything's gray and drab yeah. it's gonna be miserable to go in there but i've been in some of these office buildings where it looks modern and clean and like there's a and there's it green a, yeah for example you know if you put you in feel, a green wall yeah. if you feel more lively yeah it's the same with the studio you know like uh I really think it's important. Maybe it's a desk in your bedroom that you're working on shit, or maybe you have a full-blown studio. What you, what's in there it's really sets the tone. Like maybe you're a person likes to have the cactuses set up everywhere. Maybe yeah. uh, I was just looking at some pictures of the Massive Attack studio this weekend, and they, like, because 3D Del Naja, he does all the artwork, because they, they were saying that he was Banksy. Yeah, I heard, yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, I wonder what their studio looks like. And But he's got his art shit all over in there, and... um you know, I, I think it's really important, of course, like we said, standing up. Uh, yeah. You know, and then, like, there's there's things you can do. Like, some people say, like, if you work at home, even if it's an office job, uh, they say if, like, you put your shoes on or dress up, like, that makes your brain more alert. Yeah. Rather yeah. than, like, sitting around in your underwear or something, which can be <laughs> yeah. comfortable, but you're probably going to be a little less productive, you know? For sure, yeah. Those are mostly the experimental phases, you know, like, okay, I feel really dull, especially when you exactly. play a lot, you know, it takes a couple of days to get back on track. Exactly. You know, Monday, Tuesday, basically are lost days. Mm -hmm. I try to be in the studio, but, uh, you know, I, I from Samsung, I got this huge monitor, 21 to 9 uh, aspect ratio. Yeah. And it's very hard not to play GTA. <laughs> <laughs> so that is my Monday. You know, yeah. I take a day. You okay, take a little break. You gotta shut up. I'm playing. You know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, obviously, I also go out. I live in Amsterdam, so I bike around a lot, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, take in uh, talk with people and stuff. This is also very important. You know, I mean, uh, being outside the studio can only bring fresh ideas back into it. You know, if you stay around in your studio, nothing will be coming inside at the moment of time, you know, a certain moment. Yeah. But yeah, most of your time you are spending inside the studio, you know. I think I'm, yeah, I sleep less than that I am in the studio, you mm -hmm. know. So yeah, it needs to be an environment where you really want to be in. It has to some plants that kind of like clean the air or something. And uh, also the color of lighting is very important blue and green are very uh, creative colors mm -hmm. that make you creative but you can also that's why i have led you can set it to orange yeah and then you know the so fire you're, is you're on definitely <laughs> into the whole color thing 100 percent. yeah and you know actually what, what colors time, did you say were more productive uh, uh well productive is i think orange or red Okay. And blue and azure kind of color. So blue green is the most creative colors. So they bring out. The, and it's really funny that when I set it to this color, I have the greatest ideas. It's really working. 
Mm. It's very interesting. I might try this out. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, all hail LED. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very nice. You can change the whole, uh, you know, setting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I for the first time I had my studio treated by a guy uh, from Holland, mm-hmm. Studio Wood guy. And... You know, he had the ceiling, uh, it's all wood and, uh, you know, there's a nice bass traps and mm-hmm. everything. And it's for the first time in my life. So those last two tracks that I was talking about, which the one that Adam was playing was, you know, like in a room like this, no treatment whatsoever in my bedroom because mm-hmm. I moved and Amsterdam is very difficult to find a place. And also I bought a house, so I didn't really want to pay for, you know, another studio rent on yeah, top of that. Exactly. Um, and then, yeah, I was able to put the studio in the garage you know so okay. I, I broke down the walls and um, like the foundation of that whole building is basically my my ceiling now and no one is hearing what i'm doing so uh, yeah adam uh, sent me those new uh, s3h uh, monitors and mm-hmm. yeah i'm keeping them you know it's like 115 db wow and they're like almost like hummers it's huge <laughs> you wow. know german solid uh yeah, mofos. <laughs> and they slam it and nobody is hearing what I'm doing. And th- this is also very nice that you have your own club downstairs and there is no neighbor that knows what, what you're doing. You wow. Know? that's So you really went all in. I went all in. Yeah. yeah I mean, I because I, I built a studio here in Berlin and that was the first time in my life also where I did the treatment and stuff. Before I would just, I would make tracks in the kitchen. I didn't care. You exactly, know? yeah. Uh, but I got to say, really, I like knowing that whatever it sounds like in my studio it's you know i i know that it's gonna work or whatever yeah there's still some things i gotta air now but i don't think any room is always perfect like that's true that's true i mean i i just opened the studio maybe three weeks ago mm-hmm. like okay now i'm there and then mm-hmm. i found out that you know within uh one hour it's 36 degrees inside <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say it's got to be pretty hot in there yeah exactly so i need to come up with a solution for that but um you know, uh, besides that, uh, the guy came to measure everything and then he found out that I had dip at 90 uh, hertz and a peak Usually at 115. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, okay, how am I going to solve this, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he said, well, let's just try sonar works, you know? Let's let's just try it out. I'm using it, but mm-hmm. I'm not p- putting it to 100% wet. He puts it at 61%. And then I played Maximal in the studio and then we turn it on and then I said, Okay, stop. This is what it sounds like. This is what the track sounds like. And this is what it sounds like now. So I'm producing with Sonarworks on. And then when I render the track, it's I turn it off, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I just did my first mix down and it sounds it yeah, it sounds fucking fat. So I'm I think I'm I'm there. But still, you always learn something. Yeah. Always. T- tell me about Sonarworks. So is this like, because I know there's a bunch of software out there that kind of does like sort of room correction and stuff. Is this one of those? Yeah. Essentially. So you get a microphone and then, uh, you know, you place the microphone on 26 spots that uh, the computer says where you need to put the microphone. So from the direction of the audio and the reflection, it knows where the microphone is. Mm-hmm. And then it measures uh, with certain uh, frequencies uh, what the frequency is uh, at that certain spot. And then it knows where is the dip and where is the peak and, yeah. you know, reflections and all this. And then it corrects it to get it to, uh, you know, like uh, the yeah. most neutral level, basically. And uh, he said, well, you know, if you put it to 100%, it's just too clinical. You yeah. know, it's too much. So because you also kind of want to have that 
medium Bring feeling. Bring the room like, into it a bit. A little bit, you know, feel feel the reflection maybe. Feel that base on the other side of the room, you know, when you walk mm-hmm. around. Um, so, yeah, 61% was the, the, the cut, was the deal. And uh, I think it's working. But still, you know, I'm still finding out, of course, what my studio sounds like because I also changed monitors. Yeah. I was always using Genelec. And, you know, th- these monsters are way too big for this room, but just because I can. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I did it, and then, yeah, it's really like a club now, you know? So I turn it on full bass, and it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, the whole world disappears. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm standing with my music in the club, and I see colors and lights and everything, and then I know it's good. Sounds like you're having fun in there. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yes. Um, Men cave to the max. Exactly. Those of you who aren't studio nerds, if you're still listening, no, yeah, exactly. we can keep <laughs> we going go, on and we on. We go back to GTA, it's no yeah. problem. <laughs> Are you a big GTA or video gamer? Well, or? the funny thing is I bought that Mac Pro, uh, the 2009 version, okay. uh, because I, they gave me that is monitor. Is that the circular, the black No, no, the thing? one before, so the last, oh, okay. the last yeah. tower, yeah. Uh, you know, the last silver tower. Yep. And um, I found that guy is also a bit nerdy, you know, but I could see, okay, you can have five hard drives in there. You can have two graphic cards. You can uh, mm-hmm. also put those new NVIDIA cards in there. And I, was, and I was like, okay, I have this monitor now. I need a computer that can handle like 4K graphics mm-hmm. as well as maybe play a video game in the process. Sure. So I was searching around a little bit and then I found this machine and it was perfect. I can I put Windows uh, Bootcamp on to- on it to do all that crap uh, stuff mm-hmm. and experiment with games and yeah. strange uh, software and whatever. And then the Mac just stays completely clean, uh, you know, without internet and all this stuff. And um, um, yeah, I, I make music with it and Bitwick is 4K, you can scale it and everything, so... I have a lot of room all of a sudden. And the funny thing is that this monitor is so wide that it kind of dissolves into the room as well, you know? So it is big, but you kind of forget that it's there, you know? And that really helps in the the process. Uh, You can drag things around really easily. You you see everything. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun now, you know, down there. Awesome. Yeah. I got to say, I mean, like, you see this big monitor behind me. That's, I think... I mean, it's not huge, but it's big. It's 27 inches. I have the same one in my studio. And I really firmly believe, especially if, even if you're just a computer nerd, if you're on your computer a lot, like having this uh, big external monitor is worth every penny. I mean, now they're pretty cheap. I got this for around 200 euros and it changes everything because like if I try to make music on this little laptop right here, like, (laughs) you know, with Ableton or something is you can't find shit. Whereas on this big thing, it's, it's just so much more comfortable to get shit done. Exactly. You can just look straight and you see everything. Mm -hmm. And this, this Samsung thing is also curved and I didn't believe in that until I saw it. Yeah, I'm well, completely tell me dissolve about it into that DAW for some reason. So you believe it, it's true because, like, I went to a Best Buy, which is like a, where you buy the electronics in the states. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're like, and I'm like, so what's the deal? Why is it curvy? He's like, well, it's more immersive, and that's what he said. I'm like, this, you're not selling me on this, man. Like, I need yeah. to know more, but. Well, you know that you you have a certain limit, of course, on what your view triangle is. Yeah. And this just fits directly into that. It just you can look around the corner without looking around the corner. Mm-hmm. For basically, you know, it just gives you more room to arrange. You can look ahead much better. And yeah, the the thing is, you know, it's it's really big. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know uh, what it is in inches, actually, uh, maybe th- 37 inch or something. Okay. But it's the, the aspect radio ratio is more like panoramic view, you know. Okay. And I thought, yeah, all the sequences are going from left to right. So I need a widescreen. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, this curved thing just melts completely into also the curve. Oh, sorry. The curve of the monitors, of the audio monitors. Mm-hmm. So it's just a nice circle you know, of of uh, of playground down there, and yeah, I just kind of uh, forget that it's there because it it is so big. You can see everything. You yeah, know? and yeah, that's really really helpful. And yeah, if you need some uh, game time, it's it's insane. Four <laughs> K nice. widescreen GTA. I already played it on my PlayStation Four, of course. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, let's reinstall this and see what it does. <laughs> you know who's hardcore in the GTA is Kerry Lakebush. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, I had him on the show, and he went into it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I listened like, to it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he's he's full on into it, and. Uh, Okay, I mean, maybe I'll find him online. Yeah, him we up. can do some online uh, teamwork. He's got a gang and the whole shit doing <laughs> heists and stuff. So yeah, well, you know, it, it, I I installed it just to know also what the power of that MacBook is. Well, from the Mac sure, Pro is, you know, sure, I just nice. wanted to know. And then yeah, it blows away uh, most of what yeah. you can buy right now, you know. And I was like, yeah, you know, I want this <laughs> twelve exactly. core, three point four gigahertz, and then Nvidia card in it. Okay. Bring it on. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing, like, anybody that owns Mac computers now, they know that they don't give a shit about the people who do computers anymore. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, that is probably, like, the last great sort of uh, desktop machine yeah. from them. Yeah, I think so. And, yeah. like, this is one of the last, this older MacBook right here, that that's pretty solid too but this new thing that i have i think it's kind of a piece of shit but <laughs> well yeah i heard yours he bought that new one you know space gray whatever yeah. and he had the three crashes while he was playing really and then that's yeah. probably a sierra thing though yeah that is possible that is possible but i mean and, and actually you know i like how the machine feels and looks and everything but there's just the the no usb a ports that shit just yeah. drives me nuts and- is there's less for more money yeah. yeah, I still have one of those that you have as well, the 2012 uh, Midsummer model or something, yeah. you know, and I put mm-hmm. two hard drives in it, you just screw it open and yeah. you can put some stuff, you know, it's like, yeah, you can uh, extend it through the length of time because, you know, all your stuff is on there and, you know, your hard drives get too little and then, yeah, you need to be able to upgrade it, you know, mm-hmm. because, yeah, shifting to another system is always very tedious, also with this one. You know, yeah. I had to do all those writers, uh, what do you call that, uh, system uh, analysis and blah, uh, blah, blah, to be able to find the files and all that stuff, you know. Relocating. And I, you yeah. really don't want to do mean, that every uh, two years, you know what I mean? I, well, so I needed a machine which I could upgrade continuously. future-proof. Future-proof. And this one is, is out yeah. there. I mean, like... I you know I bought this MacBook in January and this weekend because it was just raining the whole fucking time and I had the weekend <laughs> yeah. off. I finally started putting in all the like the plugins and stuff that I use and it's such a nightmare to yeah. do all this stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I know I'm still gonna have things missing and whatnot, but yeah. And then I gotta because I want to bring this on the road. Like I use record boxes, CDJs, but I gotta put yeah. all the MP3s on there and it's just it's such a mess yeah exactly oh, so <laughs> you you know what i mean yeah it's that's a i'm not gonna bring that mac pro to any gig but uh, you know I, I thought since i have the studio now finally i can have a thing which is not 
you know, it doesn't have to be mobile. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to be rocking the SE 700 soon enough. Oh, yeah. I so. can't wait. <laughs> Thursday is a SU 700 day. Yeah, nice. <laughs> one thing that, uh, there's a couple things I want to get to yet, but one that uh, we didn't discuss much is your label, the Gem. Yeah, well, Gem Records, um, in a nutshell, uh, it was like nights that I had. I called them Gem Sessions. So mm-hmm. we were just jamming with uh, other artists that also played live. Uh, I did it with Alexander Kowalski, Joris Vaughan, in 2001. And we did not uh, practice at all, just improvisation, three hours long. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously you spell jam with J-A-M. Mm-hmm. But I, I hoped those jams would be jams. Fair and, enough. You know, a little so wordplay. A little wordplay. So I called it Jam Sessions. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, later when I started DJing, we called those parties also Jam Sessions. And from there came Jam Records because it's all gems of artists. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm releasing that new uh, uh, release of mine. Uh, and yeah, I hope it's going to do well. Um, but I think it's going to stay around for a long time because every time I play it, people react really well on it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it has a certain organic sound to it. And it's really, for me, it's a jam. You well, know? When does that one come out? I mean, this, this show probably won't be up for a while, but... Yeah, I think around uh, July, uh, 17th of July or end of July or something. Okay, so it's focus. very possible by the time this comes out yeah. that it's already available. Yeah, I will so. uh, let you know and keep you updated on all that. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll do the... We'll do all the links and stuff at the end of the show. I here. can also send you already. Yeah, please do, man. <laughs> I'm always, especially it's it's festival season now. Looking for for party jams. It's it's becoming increasingly difficult to find, for me anyway, like solid party music that I want to play. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of the techno right now is a bit too dark. Which on it, I mean, I I play that shit too. So I I, I guess I'm a, a little bit responsible for that. Or it's like. <laughs> maybe too cheesy party you know you want to find the stuff that yeah. hits the right spot you could play in a dark club in berlin or a sunshine festival in holland or yeah, yeah okay. you know what i mean so yeah. well hopefully this uh, will do the trick cool yeah um and i mean the i guess would you say like egbert would be the other main artists on your label or yeah definitely anybody else to, to mention or look uh, well for? you know i also have a booking agency which is okay. jam bookings and uh, Egbert is in there, Rainier Zonneveld is in there, Enrico Sangeliano is in there. Um, um, SQL just released this album, of course, on our label. So, you know, he had a little bit of a writer's block as well. And then mm-hmm. my A&R manager, he just went to him and said, you know, let's just sit down and listen to the music that you have. And then he listened to all his music and it was like a lot of live jams with the prophet, you know, the mm-hmm. old prophet. And uh, it was like, yeah, we need to release an album. This mm-hmm. is what we need to do. And then Pim got completely back on track and uh, enjoyed making music again because, you know, sometimes you just don't have a purpose. You don't have so many gigs or something, you know, that, that happens. Yeah. And uh, yeah, now he's completely refreshed and he's really happy to make music again. And, you know, this is also what I like, uh, that we're all friends, you know, in, in this in this jam uh, mm-hmm. We were all the same. No one is like, okay, more important than the other person. Yeah. And I hope that everyone is as, as successful as, as the other person can be, you know? Yeah. And hopefully we can all help each other into lift uh, the spirits and also lift uh, the success. And then, 
yeah, hopefully we can all live and uh, make a living out of making music. And this is what it's about, you know. So we have a gem of a life. Gem yeah. la vie. Yeah, I mean, you got to push each other because the, the, the music industry is quickly going to shit in terms of sales and everything. So it's yeah. like at the end of the day, all you got left is the other musicians that are, can understand, you know what I'm saying? Exactly, yeah. So, We're all in it together. <laughs> exactly. But as far as your output goes on label, I know you did a, like a big retrospective compilation sort of thing last yeah. year called Silver. Yeah. Um, and of course, like you mentioned, you have some singles coming. Do you see like maybe in the future an album or anything like that? Or uh, Well, yeah, definitely. The, um, there's some guys that came to me with a project for a movie and I think I will do it. Mm -hmm. And from there, I will probably also have a lot of material for an album again. Okay. So hopefully, uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, I I think I need to have a deadline. So my manager needs to say, or my you know, our manager mm -hmm. Nick, he needs to say, okay, I want an album that date, and then it's gonna yeah. be there. Well, and also <laughs> you get you gotta you gotta feel it too. There's no point yeah. in uh, doing an album that you're just kind of like, all right, I, I guess I should have an album. So. Yeah, the thing is, you know, I have a lot of material. I just don't think it's good enough. But I will always think that. Yeah, that, so. that's what artists do. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting on a ton of tracks. Exactly. People I just like, need Why someone. Why aren't you releasing this stuff? I'm like. Yeah, it sucks. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, and sometimes you need to sit down with someone, and then you know you get crit critical about your own stuff, but also you kind of like it all of a sudden. You know, it's nice mm -hmm. to share, and then you have a whole new perspective. But we have Alexander Kowalski actually picking me up. Uh, we are already talking for more than one and a half hours. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm getting real close to wrapping it up. I know you got to get some lunch and, and buy some gear. So yeah, yeah. It's uh, is he here now? Or? Pancake Laden and Schneider Laden. There you go. <laughs> He's not here yet, but he'll yeah. probably ring the bell. So. Well, yeah. Let's let's wrap it up. It was it was definitely a good time to to talk with you yeah it was nice to you see know. you again we, yeah we don't see each other that much but I, when it's... i think we're playing a festival together next weekend oh yeah that's true yeah so was that in france again yeah it is okay don't eat the fish no yeah last <laughs> time i was with him in france i i ate some pretty shitty tuna and had a rough weekend <laughs> yeah. but uh this time will be better i'm sure yeah as long for sure. as the weather holds up so you you played a festival here this weekend right um, or was yeah, it an I played thing? in uh, at the Stilford Talent Festival. But was that outdoors? Or? Yeah, it was outdoor. It was. Ooh, was that I a played... little rough with the weather. Well, it was uh, sunshine when I played, oh, but okay. I played in the tent, so it didn't really help me ah, that much. Fair enough. <laughs> and they had some uh, sound restrictions, so I can't really say that it was my best uh, gig. Mm -hmm. But yeah, obviously those those guys also don't want that. But there's when there's one person complaining. Yeah. That is already enough for uh, sound limitations to of be. Uh, so that's a, that's a shame. I thought that was only in Holland, but no. No, nah, it, it's everywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that is a shame. Yeah, but it was a good uh, party. It was nice to see all those guys as well. I did, I I know Oli, of course, but uh, we never really see each other. It's kind of like mm -hmm. a parallel world or something. But it's nice to see the team and where Rainier is coming from as well. So. Yeah, it was like a lot of fun. And yeah, I bumped into uh, Gregor Trescher as well. And we hang out a couple of days. Nice. And yeah, yeah, you've been here for, what, four or five days now? So yeah, yeah. I nice stayed to get a little Berlin trip in. Yeah, it's nice. I, I wish that my girlfriend could come, but she is from uh, Russia and she needs to do an Inburg exam. Yeah. So it's a, it's <laughs> she a pain needs in the to, ass. Uh, yeah, to, learn to the, the language. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it's not bad to have a boys' weekend once in a while either. That's true. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about all this kind of stuff exactly. endlessly. 
But that being said, you got a record out in July. Uh, anything else, remixes, whatever that people should look out for? Um, yeah, I'm doing a remix on the Rainier's Filth on Acid label for Rule Salamink. That's the only remix I do. I'm not really that good of a remix, to yeah, be honest. You know, yeah. I I always want the best, but I never have enough time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is two tracks that I did with uh, Egbert together, and I think it's going to be quite big. It's a good follow-up to Maximal, I think. So mm-hmm. I'm trying them out right now. And yeah, they, they work really well. So yeah, it's going to be probably on Jam. Um, so let's see what happens. Yeah, Awesome. Well, uh, for anybody that's interested, I'm sure you can Google Secret Cinema and they'll find the Facebook and the Instagram and all those links, right? Yeah. Well, you know, on Facebook, I'm secretcinema.gem. Secretcinema.gem. Okay, and SoundCloud is uh, SoundCloud slash Secret Cinema. And okay. my email is secretcinema at gmail. So, yeah. If you want to say, like, send him hey, a message, man, send me a message. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Uh, good. Thanks for coming around, man. You're welcome. Yeah. See nice. you next weekend. For sure. Bye bye. Bye bye.